I'm Arlen Hamilton, and this is Your First Million. I'm a venture capitalist. I started my fund Backstage Capital from the ground up while I was on food stamps. I have now invested in more than 100 companies led by women, people of color, and LGBT founders. After having raised more than $10 million, people often ask me how I did it. I created this podcast so I could tell you my story and so that together we could go on a journey and speak with some of the most successful people in the world from all backgrounds and walks of life to learn how they got their first million. And who knows, maybe I'll reach my first million in personal capital while I'm recording this series. There's only one way to find out. Let's go. If you enjoy this podcast, you might enjoy another podcast that I host called The Bootstrapped VC, VC standing for Venture Capital. And uh, as some of you may know, I am the founder of a venture capital fund called Backstage Capital. And for two and a half years, we produced a podcast called The Bootstrapped VC. It's still going. We've just taken a little bit of a break, but it'll come back in 2020. Go listen to some of the archives. I think you'll like it. Uh, I've been asked several times by listeners of this podcast of Your First Million, hey, how do I learn more about you? Because you interview other people. How do I learn more about you? That's how. I co-hosted that with my buddy Brian Landers, who also is the senior producer of this podcast. And we had a lot of guests on and a lot of guest hosts. And there's a, there are a lot of episodes I think you should check out. But I'd say go back and just hit one that the description tickles your fancy and, and check it out. If you want something that's a little bit more specific, I'd say go listen to Gimlet's Startup Series podcast. It's called Startup. The April, May 2018 uh, edition. I was the subject of six episodes of that. And every time it aired, it aired like, you know, every Friday, I think every time it aired, we would at the bootstrap VC respond to it. Now I haven't listened to those episodes, either one of the Gimlet original series startup or the responses in more than a year I don't know if I should be sending you back there, but I think I do remember having a lot of fun recording and at sometimes getting angry. It's one of those, it's kind of like watching a reality show of your life, that being the Gimlet podcast series, and then having the, the response video to it or the response to it. And that's what we did with those podcasts. So that was a little fun thing that we did that also gave you a ton of information. If you listen to both of those You'll know more than you want to about me. So that's the answer. And then Bootstrap VC itself is just chock full of information for entrepreneurs who are wanting to figure out how to navigate investment or if they should go non-investment route. It's really, really cool. And I, I love taping it. There's one more podcast series that my fund Backstage Capital has, and it's hosted by our very own Brian Landers. And that podcast is called Mission and Values, where Brian talks to co-founders and CEOs of small companies and mid-sized companies who have 10 employees or more and talks about how they built that and also what they really, uh, what their intent and, and how they view the culture within the company. 
And I think it's just a brilliant series that I have nothing to do with. And so nothing to do with producing. So I can say it's brilliant. It's really good. I just wanted to answer that for a few people who have asked. And I wish you happy listening. We'll keep turning out episodes of Your First Million as long as you all keep listening and and letting us know you enjoy it. And uh, hey, you know, happy commute. Happy commute. See you later. Welcome, welcome. Here's another bonus episode of Your First Million. And true to form, we are going off script and uh, off the cuff. If you're new to the bonus episodes, it's where I just talk about whatever I want or I interview someone that wasn't scheduled to be interviewed like this episode. Today, I... I'm back in L.A. right now, but I flew to Oakland this morning and helped lead a conversation with Democratic nominee Pete Buttigieg. And the room was full of people in the Oakland area, from the Oakland area, mostly. Very diverse room. I think the idea of it was to be in front of black and brown folks who could ask really pointed questions. We weren't there to, as Carla says, do a a pep rally. It was to really ask some strong questions that were still on my mind, have been on my mind over the past few weeks, and more importantly, on the minds of those who are in attendance. And um, I was asked to come help moderate it a bit, ask a few questions of my own, but mostly help get others a voice and and a seat with him. I think, in my opinion, he he answered questions head on. I don't think that he did any sort of spin. He's very eloquent and well-spoken and has done this for a while. So it, you know, been a been a, an orator for a while. So I, I do think that it, a lot of it is polished and is near perfect, which isn't always best. But I do, I wanted to kind of assess how I would feel about him afterwards uh, compared to before. I should stop here and say that I have, as of the end of August 2019, have not uh, endorsed or chosen a candidate. I'm not a journalist, but I'm a citizen. And so I plan on having conversations, candid conversations, whether they be in public or in private, with several of the candidates, if I can, over the next few weeks and months until we have taken back the White House. And I say we, I say meaning um, people, I guess Democrats, but I understand that odds say that there may be someone listening who is a Republican and who doesn't really appreciate me saying that. And I don't want to be ex, uh, exclusive of anyone. I don't want to exclude anyone. But my personal opinion is that Trump needs to leave, to say the least, and that it would be really nice to have some order restored. And I think there are several candidates who would be wonderful as president. I also think there's a little bit of excitement that's lacking still, and I've heard that uh, from close friends and family, that there's a little bit of excitement lacking. 
And uh, I still hold out hope that Stacey Abrams will join. A, uh, I was hoping that she would run for president, but uh, she made the announcement recently that she will not run for president. She will focus on fair her fair vote and voting reform initiatives so that we can have a fair vote when it comes time to vote for someone. But she shortly followed that by saying that she would consider being someone's VP candidate, which I have begged her to do. And I'm so glad that she's up for that because I think she would just add so much to anyone's anyone's campaign and their platform and their time in office. And I see her being president one day. Now, speaking of, you'll hear me in this conversation with Pete. I, I mentioned to him that I think he'll be president one day. I don't know if it's this time, but I think it will happen in his lifetime. What happened here this with this episode is that I moderated that it went for about 45 minutes, grabbed him for just a few minutes in a small room on held handheld mics, so I don't know how the sound will be, but I know we captured it. I was so excited that we actually captured it because it was very fast. I was excited that the sound worked because <laughs> I'm, I'm I'm learning along the way. So I interviewed Pete and asked him just a few questions. Uh, we only had a few minutes with him before he had to catch a flight. I think he had five different engagements to do in one day. A lot of stamina, quite impressive, but I think that's that's the job, right? That's the gig. So I asked him a few questions. I tried to get a wide range of questions that would be helpful here, something that you haven't heard him ask before, or if you have, just giving a different view of it. I think how I feel after listening to him and talking to him and meeting him is that, yeah, I, I have to say he did impress me. I was already impressed by him. I, I like him. I have issue with his lack of, well, seemingly uh, his lack of initiative when it came to the office officer shooting that happened in June in his home uh, city where he, in Indiana, South Bend, where he uh, didn't take swift action. And I did some research about that. And um, I think he addressed it a bit in the conversation during the uh, town hall, where he said that, and he said this in debates, where he said he, he messed up and things aren't, things aren't gr great there when it comes to that. I think that he thinks they're doing a really good job there now, or they're on their way to. So keep pressing him, keep asking him, keep holding him accountable. But I, I will say that I did come away from today's event. If I was 25% a fan of Pete Buttigieg, I would say I'm now 50% a fan. 100 just being all in, not comparing to someone else. I th he impressed me with the fact that he, I believe he's trying. I also believe he's sincere. I also believe he learns at a really incredible, incredibly fast clip. So I am going to be interested to see what his evolution looks like in two months, in six months, in a year. I think we have quite the candidate on our hands here because he can go from he can take in a lot of information and compute it and it somehow touches and this is me again a personal opinion 
not related to backstage, my fun, not related to anyone else, but just my opinion. I think he can compute that both heart and mind. And I think if he keeps at this pace and this rate of understanding and learning and evolving, he could be a, he could be a, a front runner in just a couple of months. I think he needs to keep listening to the people of color he has on his team because he has many of them and he needs to keep listening to the people. People, not only to what they're saying, but thinking about what they're going through. And also my suggestion is he, he hires more or meets with more. He's already doing this at a, at a great clip, but I think he needs to do it for more because there are some people who want him to win, who have the answers for him. And I think that he could stand to listen more. One thing he did point out during the town hall that we were not able to tape is that while he wants to reach everyone and he wants to appeal to everyone and he wants to include everyone, he is not willing to, and I think this is good, he's not willing to just speak to change at a whim and just to placate and be what everyone needs him to be. I like that. That's something, if I'm going to get into it, there's some pandering that I felt that Hillary uh, displayed at some point. And I feel like that might be what the word is. He's pandering a little bit, it felt like, before. Being around him today, I would say that I don't think he's pandering. I think he's really trying, and I think he's young He's younger than I am, which is insane because <laughs> I don't think I should run for president. But he's younger than I am. He's young. He hasn't lived a lot of diff with a lot of different uh, lives. He's he's a gay man in America, though, so he has he does understand a little deeper this underrepresented, underestimated plight. But I I think he I think over the next year, if he stays in this where he's one of the top two or three candidates, and he stays in this for through next summer, I think you're going to see a really strong candidate, someone that feels like a president, I, I dare say. And I, I'll go back, though, even with today. I think he'll be president of the United States one day. I don't know if it's this time. But time will tell. He went from obscurity, complete obscurity, to most of the country, to being what five having five percent of the vote maybe in, in just a few weeks and then now it's much higher. There's something happening over there. You keep an eye out. This is not an endorsement. Uh, this is not a prediction. This is me. August, end of August, 2019, just figuring everything out with along with the rest of the country. And uh, whoever becomes the nominee, I will stand behind. I would love. Love, love to talk to more candidates, ask them very pointed questions, have some time with them, whether it be personal, where we do a one-on-one -on -one interview for the podcast, or in a town hall setting, um, 50, 70, 80 people, where we get to ask you very pointed questions and get some answers from you. If you're still in the race, if you're a campaign, someone from the campaign is listening, I've been talking to a few of the campaigns, reach out to me. You can email me at Arlen Hamilton, A-R-L-A-N Hamilton at Gmail, or have someone get in touch with me if, if it seems that there's some connection somewhere. And um, I'll give you the same space and, and fairness that I gave Pete today. A side note is that after the Pete interview, 
I caught a, just a couple of minutes with Nina, his, uh, I believe she's his head of PR, but she does give the uh, exact title in the interview. She's a black woman who he called out as someone who has his ear bef- right before he goes on any television interview or podcast interview or radio interview. I think that's really interesting. Uh, I did not know that a black woman was running his PR and um, she has uh, she has an interesting story. So we'll, we'll hear more from her another time, but stick around after Pete's interview, his quick one, which is shorter than this intro. And uh, listen out for Nina as well. Yeah, it's getting good, folks. It's getting good. See you on the other side. All right, so we just wrapped up what was uh, a a mini town hall here in Oakland. And um, just want to ask you a couple more questions. And I had a couple of questions that were crowdsourced Mm. when I let people know uh, they they. They had some hard-hitting questions, so we'll Good. do that. Elizabeth Warren, I mentioned her before. I'm, you might be able to tell I'm, I'm leaning a little bit that way. She, One of the things that I am worried about with her, though, that I would say to her is she wants to break up big tech, mm-hmm. which I understand why. Um, what do you think about that? I don't think I've heard your take on it yet. So here's what I would say. I don't believe it makes sense for a president or a candidate to single out certain companies and say, I am going to break you. I do think that we have a responsibility to make sure that we're promoting good competition and that when there are companies that engage in anti-competitive behavior, that they're accountable for that. And so in my administration, we would move toward a model where when you reach a certain level of size and market power and you're proposing a merger, you have to prove that it would not be a problem instead of the government having to prove that it would. But I don't believe that, that we get where we need to go by by simply uh, singling out from seats of government certain people for punishment. There's got to be a process. And if that process discovers that there's anti-competitive behavior, then breaking up companies Companies is a uh, severe response, but it should be on the menu. Uh, I also think that we got to recognize that a lot of why we're concerned about tech isn't just the size of the companies, it's uh, the choices they make with our data. And that requires a data policy that speaks to this in a way that frankly could be an issue for a company of any size, definitely some of the big players, but any company that has my data can do good things or bad things with it. It's why we need a national data policy. And I don't think you'll answer this, but I'm going to try. All right. Um, Kind if I if I put your policies and Elizabeth's policies together, they'd make the perfect candidate to me. And that kind of leads me to if you are not the candidate, is there a role in government that you feel you would knock out the park and then come back? Because uh, some, something that I've tweeted before mm-hmm. is that I think you will be president of the United States. I just don't know if it'll be this time. So there's nothing there's nothing terrible about being secretary of state or something to that effect. Is that, is that something you can't even think about right now because it takes you off the the prize? Yeah. I mean, right now, all of my energies are going into winning the presidency. What I'll say is that the decision to run for any office and the decision uh, that I've tried to, uh, or the process I've tried to follow every time I make a decision is to figure out how to make myself useful, most useful. And I believe right now that's as president, but I will continue to try to make myself useful to this country and to my values, whatever shape that might take. And you talked about um, security of voting. Mm. That's something that's on people's minds, you know, greatly. Um, West Georgia 951 says, uh, what, do you, what is your take on securing voting, especially in Florida, Georgia, and North Carolina? Well, I think that uh, as president, there's a whole set of things I want to do around a 21st century voting rights act, but we can't wait. Uh, We've got to act now. And if we... 
if we cannot get the laws changed before we take power, what we can do is make sure the elections are protected. We're going to need to mobilize armies of lawyers and uh, activists trained in making sure that elections are free and fair like never before, document any irregularities or problems that take place, and make sure that we simply turn out folks who may have been uh, unfortunately uh, deterred by this narrative, which is not completely untrue about the interference with our elections, uh, and wondering whether it's worth voting at all. Uh, we have the numbers to deliver these changes and to deliver justice, but we got to show up. And we talked in this um, talk that we just had, a lot of things came up about that you already have these policies in place or you're already thinking about things that have to do with the black voter, mm -hmm. with the Latinx voter, mm -hmm. but they don't sometimes get across. Mm -hmm. And they certainly didn't to me mm -hmm. before today. Mm -hmm. Is there, can you summarize a little bit of what was talked about out there? Yeah. Well, uh, we talked about uh, a lot about making sure that we build a country where everybody can thrive at a time when uh, immigration, for example, is being treated like it's uh, a harm when it's actually a benefit to our country. I've talked about my record making it possible for undocumented immigrants in South Bend to get municipal ID cards because we knew the state wasn't going to help them uh, and making it clear that our concern is for the safety of residents, whether they be citizens or not. When it comes to our vision for Black America, the Douglas plan that we've put forward is, I believe, the most comprehensive of any of the 2020 candidates in confronting systemic racism, not only looking at some of the things we talk about most often, like criminal justice reform that is urgently needed, but also uh, empowering entrepreneurs, recognizing that uh, uh, these issues often have solutions from within the Black community. It's why we need to triple the number of uh, entrepreneurs from underserved or, as you say, underestimated uh, areas in short order. It's why we have a vision for elevating the extent to which the federal government does contracting business uh, with such entrepreneurs. We've got a comprehensive vision, but it's my job to go out and sell it. And it's what we seek to do at every turn. Uh, we can't just assume voters are going to find their way to us. What do you... What do you learn? Have you mm. learned a lot this summer yeah. uh, in the past year as a candidate when it comes to black women, when yeah. it comes to black voters? What have you learned? What are you taught day to day mm. by your team, uh, women of color in your team and people that you meet? Well, what I'm taught are all the ways in which our racialized and gendered existence uh, creates in some ways a different country, especially mm -hmm. for black women with consequences on everything from health to access to capital for building a business. Mm -hmm. uh, and, uh, you know, everywhere we turn, uh, for example, the conversation about criminal justice uh, rarely talks about women's issues, but it's not just a question of women incarcerated. It's the fact that the closest thing we've had to a reentry system in this country is women yes. uh, who wind up caring the load of all of the different steps before, during, and after uh, the incarceration of a family member. So whether it's that piece or any of the others, this is something that pervades every part of American life. And what I've learned is that uh, voters, and in particular black voters and black women, are not going to be uh, satisfied just by the idea that we have good intentions. That's there has right. to be a real plan. Uh, because if there's anything we've learned from the experience in our lifetime, uh, yours and mine, it's that uh, good intentions are not enough. Uh, because a lot of folks have come to office saying the right things, and a lot of these inequities have actually gotten worse. What keeps you up at night in this campaign? What is the thing that you think about? What is kind of the the thing that that kind of stirs you to your soul? Well, the big thing is making sure that our campaign makes America better off. Obviously, we're seeking to win. We're also in a moment that is so precarious in our politics and in our civic life that I think everybody who has the visibility of being in a campaign everybody who's on television talking about what's going to happen in 2020 carries a responsibility to reverse the kind of, of division that is happening 
in this country. And uh, I think a lot about what it's going to take to make good on that obligation. Thank you very much. I know your time is limited. I'm going to get a portrait of you and then we're going right. to go. We're going to let you go. Thank you for having me. Can you tell me your name, please? Uh, my name is Nina Smith. Uh, N-I-N-A Smith, S-M-I-T-H. And I am traveling press secretary to uh, Mayor Pete Buttigieg's presidential campaign. Excellent. So we are, where are we? We are in Oakland and we just finished a um, really great kind of town hall type of event that I was co-moderating, I guess. Um, yeah. felt like Oprah for a moment there yeah. and there. Everybody's dream. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, who doesn't want to be Oprah? But I wanted to talk to you because this conversation was was uh, heavily based on people of color and their their issues and, and our issues and our needs. And um, I'm going to talk to Pete soon and, and they'll hear this on the podcast. You are a black woman. I am. I'm, I'm standing in front of you. <laughs> so I want to talk to you because I, you know, one of the things that we talked about out there and that it, I think the reason I was asked to be part of this is because there's so many wonderful things about Pete that I, I really do like. But before this event, I was concerned about how he would relate to and, uh, and excite black women, especially. And they are black women are so important as voters and as humans. Right. Why, why did you get involved? Why is he your candidate and why are you working on his his campaign? So, I mean, it has a lot to do with the fact that I've been involved in politics for about 15 years and I've worked in every level of government. So I've worked at the state level uh, for Martin O'Malley for about five years. I worked in the Obama administration and I, I worked on Capitol Hill for Maxine Waters. And um, I left the Hill and I left politics because I was getting frustrated. Nothing was getting done. Uh, we had been talking about the same thing for years. Um, it was the same approach, uh, the same lack of appreciation for people of color and the role they play in the Democratic Party. And I was getting frustrated. And I, a friend told me about Pete and uh, I listened to his podcast uh, with David Axelrod. And um, I actually only saw a part of the CNN town hall that everybody tends to talk about. But what I was struck by in a speech I think he gave to Nan was his approach to structural change. Um, he isn't really seen as the candidate who's about that, but he's the candidate who's about that. I mean, he was talking about uh, ending mass incarceration. I've uh, been working on social justice issues for the last uh, few years, and that's a huge issue for me. Um, marijuana legalization and um, the expungement of records. Again, was one of the first candidates who was talking about these issues. And then um, looking at his South Bend record, his incorporation of entrepreneurship. And his uh, him actually saying that, you know, uh, he actually admitted when he did something wrong and then he listened to his community. And the one thing when I was reading those stories about South Bend that was consistent was that he listened to us. And it's really rare that, um, again, working in politics for 15 years in different arenas, that politicians are willing to be that honest and open and to listen to the people they're serving and remembering that they're servants. Hey, so I'd love to talk to you and keep the conversation going. Find me on Twitter and Instagram at Arlen was here. That's A-R-L-A-N was here. Stick around too, because I will let you know when my new book is going to be in pre-order. Now that's coming out in uh, 2020. It'll be out as the real book. Oh my goodness. And... 
it'll be you'll be able to pre-order it most likely this year so stay tuned i'll let you know all about that on twitter on instagram and on this podcast 